Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Welcome to the Film Realist Podcast, the film and TV podcast from a complete nobody that's hopefully for somebody. I am your host, Kyle Naranya, here to review part two of Barbenheimer. Now, if you've listened to part one, you would know what I did review on the first part of Barbenheimer, but if you did not, I'm not even going to tell you in this part, so you're going to have to get to the movie review to find out what I reviewed. Barbenheimer, if you don't know and you're listening to the first time, welcome to the Film Realist Podcast. I am the host, Kyle Naranya. This is the film and TV podcast from a complete nobody that's hopefully for somebody. Barbenheimer is the combination of Barbie and Oppenheimer, a box office weekend that we have not seen probably since before the pandemic. It's great to see Barbie had the highest grossing opening weekend domestically of any film that's North America domestic worldwide was a different number. I didn't actually look up that number, but I should have. I don't want to waste any more of your time. I'm getting into part two of Barbenheimer. If you're curious what the outfit was for this part of the episode, you can check that out on the socials. Eventually clips will be out there once both Barbenheimer episodes have been released. So let's get into Barbenheimer, part two. Oppenheimer was, of course, directed by Christopher Nolan. That's right, Barbenheimer, part two, will be a review of Oppenheimer, the Heimer of the Barben. Heimer. I'm glad after this episode I'm not going to have to say that anymore. Christopher Nolan's first film that was bankrolled by Universal Studios Famously, uh, this is probably not a general known thing, but Christopher Nolan, for a long time, his production company worked along with Warner Brothers. And this is the first film that he's releasing with Universal Studios. Being a podcaster and longtime film fan, it was certainly weird to see his production studio logo after the Universal logo. Those things typically are connected to things like Fast and the Furious and subpar Jurassic Park sequels. That's neither here nor there. Let's get into the film review. Written and directed by Christopher Nolan based on the book American Prometheus. Prometheus being the Greek mythological story about the man who brought fire to the humans and suffered the consequences greatly. It's a little bit of ancient history there for you. I'm sure there's a longer version of that story, but I don't want to waste any more of your time. Now... My Barbenheimer experience, just a little backstory before we get into that. I know I keep delaying, but apologies. This is the podcast where I get to drone on, and unless I have a guest, nobody cuts me off. So if that's not what you're here for, I apologize. Where my plan was initially to do Oppenheimer and then Barbie. Watch the more dour drama and then end with the fun, entertaining toy movie. Obviously, that's not the case if you are listening to these episodes in release order. You'll know that that's not what happened based on real life things. Nothing dire or of any kind, but that I did see Oppenheimer second. And I don't think that affected my film going experience whatsoever. This is a very well-made film. I have seen every one of Christopher Nolan's films. Only a handful, not even a handful, only a couple, not in theaters, Insomnia, Memento. Outside of that... Yeah, that's it. Just the two. Sorry for the pause. I was just trying to think of what else he would have made. Everything else I have seen in theaters. And there are clear things that he learned along the way to make this film. This is probably, in my opinion, one of Christopher Nolan's best movies. 
Ultimately, he's a phenomenal writer. Some could say cold at times. And I think his screenwriting style was perfect for this material. Obviously, Oppenheimer is becoming become a divisive figure in human history, being the man responsible for the team that, of course, made the, the first ever atomic bomb, which did end World War II and the consequences of the, the arms race that that did kick off leading into hydrogen bombs and the Cold War and whatnot. And handling that subject matter in a way where I don't think at all it presents I always want to say Robert J, but it's J Robert Oppenheimer as a hero, more as a human being, somebody with flaws, a substantial amount. If you're tracking through his whole life and how the different people he became entangled with ultimately affected his relationships with his peers and those around him in trying to get what he thought was the right message out. And somebody who could handle such material like this in a, Basic fact-based film is great. The fact that the film presents two styles of the story at the same time with the black and white being done as objective and then the color subjective given how it's interactions with humans that would require some creative license. But if it has anything to do with any of the courtroom drama or official interviews, then that would have documentation and it's easier to present the information that way. And having the film present a lot of what we experience with Oppenheimer in color through his perspective gives you his perspective on some of it, but having multiple perspectives presented throughout the film, I think gives them a more rounder story, a fulfilled, a fuller story of what exactly was happening during this time. One of the parts that I enjoyed the most, and me not being a physicist of any kind, was I think having a misunderstanding or lack thereof ignorance to some degree of what advancements were being done with science, specifically physics, during World War. Obviously, I was aware of the atomic bomb, but the level of intellect amongst these people with such limited resources when you com when you compare it to what is available now, it's incredible the things that through theory, they were able to manifest into reality and ultimately obviously ended a world war. It's ironic to me that I'm watching this film when I am. There are, I would say blind, not blind spots, but holes in my theatric or th film going and television viewing experience or history. And I'm finally getting around to watching Peaky Blinders. Not that I ever underestimated Killian Murphy. He's a phenomenal actor and has had a great career as being a supporting character. And obviously if you were a longtime Nolan fan, you would have watched films that he's been in, but getting to see him dig his teeth into a drama as a lead, getting two different roles at the same time as I went to go see this, it's really apparent the talent that this actor is capable of. And while of course he is the lead of the film, he's phenomenal. And I don't think he gives a protagonist stereotypical role where it's like oh look at him like just like the screenplay and the direction presenting a full three-dimensional human being and the flaws and the goals that this person had in mind when he was trying to achieve what he thought was necessary but also dealing with the morality at the same time 
Would be not surprised at all for this film if Killian Murphy gets nominated for an Oscar. That's probably... I'm not even going to say that. Killian Murphy will get nominated for an Oscar for this performance. It's one of the best of the year. I'm very curious to seeing what he stacks up against moving forward, but I would not be surprised at all if at the... I guess it would be next year, February 2024, we see Killian Murphy handed an Oscar. It would be interesting given the release date of this film... A film released in July has to have a massive Academy Award campaign moving forward. Typically, films released later in the year stand more of a chance. But I'm going to put my stake into the ground now. Killian Murphy will win the Academy Award for Best Actor for his role in Oppenheimer. You can clip it. I'll probably share it myself. So if you're watching this in the future, was I right? Was I wrong? Who knows? But surrounding... Killian Murphy as Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Robert Downey Jr. in a role that I'm so grateful he did. Obviously, he was Iron Man for over a decade and made some other films after that and during his time as Iron Man. I myself am a big fan of his portrayal of Sherlock Holmes. It was a great theatrical experience, that version of Sherlock Holmes, and I'm hoping at some point they eventually get to make the third one. I know Dexter Fletcher was rumored to be taking over the directorial seat uh, from Guy Ritchie, so I do hope that gets made. I really enjoyed Robert Downey Jr.'s back and forth with... Oh my goodness. Jude Law. With Jude Law. Um, but digging his teeth into a dramatic role like this is something we haven't seen from Robert Downey Jr. since, I would argue, Chaplin. And again... What, one of the aspects of the film that I enjoy so much is what, how we get several different people throughout history's perspective. And most of the time, they are selfish and goal-oriented with what they want to achieve and their opinions of the others that they come into contact with affect their point, affect the decisions they make and what actions they choose to do so that way they can achieve, in their mind, what needs to be done. And... Louis Strauss's back and forth with Oppenheimer throughout the whole film. That's probably the most focus that we get out of the entire movie, but Matt Damon is also amazing. Florence Pugh has some phenomenal scenes with Killian Murphy. Emily Blunt, of course, playing Kitty Oppenheimer. The list goes on and on. Kenneth Branagh's in this. There is one particular character who, when we are introduced to him, we see the back of him, and then it's eventually re revealed who that actor is. And I don't know if that was done as supposed to being a reveal. There's a couple characters that are not initially presented face forward where we get to see the actor, where it's teased leading up to it. And I'll get into, into spoilers. Of course, you're going to want to hear about the, the Big Bang, the, the atomic bomb going off. And it is certainly something worth seeing on the big screen. And it's interesting where it's placed in the film because... As interesting as the story is after the atomic bomb, that building to that crescendo of them testing and doing the Trinity test, which is what it's known, the code name for the, Man the Manhattan Project's first test of an A-bomb, it, I think the film, it's not that it drags, but the interest is slightly less, it's, it's slightly less interesting dealing with the aftermath. I don't think the rest of the movie needed to be an hour long after that standpoint. But for the most part, I would say that the runtime is earned. It's a very heavy drama. To some degree, it almost feels like you're watching a play, not in terms of 
lack of cinematics because this is something that looks great on the big screen, but it's a lot of actors talking back and forth and conversations and building to this one big spectacle. And what I liked about what Christopher Nolan does with the film is we get inside Oppenheimer's head and see what he's thinking about and what in nature around him gives him his him these ideas for what is theoretically possible with physics and so having those breaks amongst all the talking which thoroughly enjoyed cast from top to bottom is amazing in delivering the dialogue but you need sort of what i would describe as flair ironic as big bomb um to spark the next scene moving forward and giving us perspective as to where oppenheimer is why he's so distracted from his day-to-day interactions with everybody he comes into tanglement with. So I think that's pretty much all I can say in non-spoilers. I really did enjoy the film. If you do get a chance moving forward, I would highly recommend you check out both of these movies. Either order would work, but they are such the epitome of each other, but offer very unique and film going experiences that I really enjoyed. And I'm really grateful that we had such a variety of really well-made films to see this past weekend. So that will do it for non spoilers. I'm going to get into spoilers where I can talk about some of the things I couldn't in the spoiler section of this review. So I'm going to get into that and then we can get into the spoiler section. All right. So getting into Oppenheimer spoilers. So I mentioned how building the let's start from the part that I mentioned that the length of the film with the time. So two hours in is when we get to see the atomic bomb. Visually, it is something that you haven't seen done practically in any sense before. There's all sorts of camera tricks and lighting effects to display what exactly was happening. I think most of us at some point in our lives have seen some version of a fake mushroom cloud which is the outline of what an atomic bomb typically looks like. But given that the case, we don't, we get a very different version of that explosion. It's not grandiose in any way, but plays up, I think, the historical significance of this moment, which is the creation of a new mass weapon that, as I mentioned in the non-spoiler section, created an arms race that affected worldwide relationships with nations since then, eventually leading to the H-bomb and the Cold War with Russia between the United States. And after that, we get to deal with the aftermath of what that meant in Oppenheimer's time with certain relationships and control over isotopes that could be used to make atomic bombs. And then we do get into the whole politics around the H-bomb and what Oppenheimer thought about that And that seems the film is almost in three acts to some degree. And while I I mentioned it doesn't drag, but it is decidedly less interesting because I think the politics of the film could be boring for some. Now, given the fact that all these performances, as I've said, are phenomenal all the way through, and it's great to see a variety of different actors in the film that... Christopher Nolan has not worked with. Obviously, there are some mainstays that he's used before, but having new actors in the films or new actors in Christopher Nolan films is great. It it adds to more people who potentially could be in whatever his next project being. But I mentioned the two people that were surprises to me, which are Gary Oldman does show up 
and he plays the president at the time. And my brain can't remember who it was. Gary. He plays Truman. And this is another world leader that Gary Oldman has played. Obviously, he played Winston Churchill, uh, which did win him an Academy Award, if I believe. If I, I think that's correct. And then the other is Casey Affleck. We're introduced to one of the generals who's supposed to be managing this whole project. And we're introduced to him by the back of the head. And it eventually the camera eventually pivots around to show his face. And I don't know if it's supposed to be a surprise, but it plays like a look, it's Casey Affleck moment, which for a moment did take me out of the film. But that's neither here nor there. I was really happy to see Gary Oldman. I'm a big fan. And the fact that Nolan's brought him back is awesome. I talked about Robert Downey Jr.'s performance, and I really liked him playing this very self-interested guy. While some may say, yes, that's similar to his role as Tony Stark, but Tony Stark was so much more larger than life and obviously wound up being the hero the MCU needed. He was Iron Man. And having this guy who has seemingly at odds with Oppenheimer throughout both of their careers is something I really enjoyed having the back and forth and having that be a focus of the film is really something that given the length of time that the movie uh, covers is something I really appreciated. It sort of reminded me of Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr in Hamilton where you get to see where these guys are at specific pinpoints throughout human history, specifically obviously the ones presented in the film, but having them be at odds with each other and trying to systematically take away each other's credibility winds up being the focus specifically of the back half, but their interactions throughout the film go back and forth and particularly getting to see the subjectivity and the objectivity in the different uses of color also plays up what each character's perception of what is happening around them. We get a great scene where we see Oppenheimer talk to Einstein and Strauss is of course present, but he doesn't know what exactly they spoke about. And we get Oppenheimer's perspective who was actually there. And then we also get Strauss's, which is that, Oh, he set me up because he wanted all the science people against me and providing multiple perspectives in a film that is about real people is really important. You can tell a completely one-sided story, but it often tends to make somebody either vilified or seem to be all roses. And I like the fact that we are never presented an Oppenheimer who was the savior of humanity. He's a very flawed and I would argue somewhat broken human being, specifically with the relationships that he has, the affair he had with Florence Pugh leading to his relate his marriage with Emily Blunt, Kitty Oppenheimer and his unfaithfulness and his relationship to communism, which was to my, I was unaware of this, a problem that was rampant in world war two and affected security clearance, which was clearly important when you're dealing with a matter of matter of national security. And it's ironic given the fact that I'm watching Peaky Blinders right now, and they're also talking about communism. I just think it's funny that two of the pieces of content I'm consuming right now have to deal with communism, which was not something I expected in either piece of content at all. But, you know, live and you learn. One of the parts that I'm most curious about is what the audiences are having more, f 
not more fun, but enjoying more at the theater. It's been a conversation that I've had with friends and family around me that as good as Oppenheimer is and the Trinity test is something to be seen, I don't really know if it's something that needs to be seen in theaters as most of the film, and this is not a criticism, is people talking outside of some phenomenal landscape shots. I don't know if you need the theater for that. I'd be curious if um, people disagree with me on that. I have I always try to avoid other reviews before I record my own. But besides that, it is a phenomenal film. I think it is my favorite of Christopher Nolan's since The Dark Knight. Inception's probably my favorite of all his. No, that's not true. It'd be Batman Begins. I'm not doing a Nolan tier list. If you want a Nolan tier list, when there's a slow week, uh, I can do one, but I, I might run a poll for that. So check Twitter at Film Realists. Don't forget Elists or Realist has two E's. So that'll be there at some point. But no, I really did enjoy the film. I think it's a gripping story of one human being's determined mindset to achieve what he thinks needs to be achieved, but also dealing with the consequences of that decision and how it affected everybody around him and how everyone else's self-interest affected Oppenheimer as well. So getting that more than duality because we get it from multiple characters is something I really enjoyed. And it's not shocking that this film and Barbie were such, were such successes. This is what happens when you can manage to get general audiences out for films that are above average if not excellent. These are excellent films that clearly the audience wanted to see. And given the fact that Oppenheimer is three hours long and managed to gross what it did in an era where the theatrical going experience, the film going industry is still recovering is something to be said. And I'm really happy that people did go out and see this. It does show that film fans and general audiences want to see a Christopher Nolan film in the theater. And I'm Sorry, I'm so happy that Killian Murphy was given this chance, being somebody who has been a phenomenal supporting actor. And of course, I've been told and I'm now seeing is incredible in Peaky Blinders, but is getting the chance to be a lead in a big studio film that will likely win him an award. It's in some guild or academy. You can mark this time code down. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I've been wrong before about who should win awards. But regardless, it's going to be a movie that requires a lot of analysis, given the fact that it is three or three hours long. There are so many different characters in the film. I wouldn't say that all of them are given their time to shine, but the actors that are in this film know what project they signed up for. And the fact that post the Dark Knight trilogy, Nolan has been able to do a variety of different pictures just shows what this filmmaker is capable of. And he is one of the best filmmakers going. And it's clear that he makes movies unlike anybody else. So I'm very excited to see whatever project he does next. I would say, yeah, this is outside of, I did like Tenet, D Dunkirk. Yeah, no, this is probably, yeah, this is my favorite film he's done since The Dark Knight. And no, Inception was 2010. Since Inception. And I'm very curious. He's been talking. Of course, people are wanting to know if he's going to be doing other projects. I'd be very curious to see what he does with James Bond, given the fact that he did an espionage style film with Tenet. But outside of that, I think 
this is a really good film. I apologize for the tangent that I just fell into, but it's a phenomenal drama about the human experience and what one person's one person's journey can do and the ripple effect of their relationship with everybody and how it affected human history as we know it. So if that sounds like a film you are going to enjoy, or maybe you've seen it already, we can have that conversation on the socials. If you'd like, I've already mentioned them in the podcast, but that I really don't have anything else to say about the film. I think it's really good. If not excellent, I don't really like doing ratings in this just because it's just one person's opinion, but you're listening to this for me. So I hope you enjoyed this spoiler section of the review. I think if I keep keep it going, I'm just going to fall into further tangents. So I'm going to end it here. And if I have any other further thoughts, you can see them on my own Twitter threads, Insta, whatever social media platform I decide to post them on. But that'll do it for the spoiler section of the review of Oppenheimer. Next week's episode of the podcast will be an interesting one. It will be my official DCEU tier list as well as a season, I guess, mini-series review of Secret Invasion. So you can look forward to that next week. And then the following week will be a review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. So make sure you're subscribed on whatever your podcast platform is. I'm now on iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, so you can listen to me on your Alexa, as well as Radio Public. The theme song for the podcast was composed by the band You Vs. Me. You can check their music out on Apple Music and Spotify. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a film friend who you think might enjoy the show, please share it with them. If you have a rating system on your podcast platform, please give it any review. I'll read them. And if you have any criticism you'd like to discuss it with me, the email for the podcast is, of course, listed in the show notes. Outside of that, the one other thing I wanted to mention is that there's now a poll on Spotify episodes. And if you so, if you were listening to it on that platform, please answer the poll because it's helping me determine what I'm going to be doing with the podcast in the future. Don't worry, I am not going anywhere, but the podcast may it may get expanded to some degree. That's all I'm going to say about that. I hope you enjoyed part two of Barbenheimer and I will see you on the next one.